What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. I will. Lord, we just we pray and we thank you for your Holy Spirit that has been given to us. You said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And we pray your Holy Spirit abide upon the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this is such a fun passage to teach on. Uh, excited to do it. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like sometimes, it, for those of you that have a family, sometimes you have to just gather the kids and together and you say, hey, we're going to have a little family talk and you just talk about what's, what's going on in the family and the home and how you interact with each other and so forth. And that's kind of like what's going on here in this passage. Uh, Paul's just saying, okay, here's, when you guys are together as a family, here's how you, here's how you interact and here's what should be going on. And so we're going to kind of address it that way. Uh, you know, I am not a science fiction fan at all, uh, but I have to admit that I have often thought how much I would like to travel back in time to see, like, the city of Rome or to watch the pyramids being built or to watch Jesus perform a miracle or maybe to travel with Paul. Well, these verses this morning are kind of like a time travel experience. It's like we get to go to church with the Christians in Corinth in about 55 A.D. And this passage gives us a glimpse inside the early church meeting that no other verses in any book of the Bible give us. And it's important because it, it shows us it shows us the power, the liveliness, the spontaneity, and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church. I mean, the New Testament church meeting was alive. I mean, the, the Spirit was there, so it was, there was something living and dynamic and spontaneous about it. Uh, there was, a, there was a sense of excitement. Uh, there was a degree of unpredictability because of the preeminence of the Spirit's leading and manifestation through various people. And you know, I think it would be really helpful if we would all just be willing to admit right up front that the way we want to do church may not be the right way to do church. Or the way we feel comfortable doing church may not be the way Jesus planned for us to do church. Or the way that we are used to doing church may be, could be, missing by a mile what the Holy Spirit wants to do among us. It would just really be helpful if we 
came with that kind of heart and approach. Since the early churches were started by Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, it seems obvious that there would be some massively important things for us to learn from what went on in the early church. Unless, of course, we just assume that we know better. Which which I think sometimes we subconsciously do. Just think, yeah, we know better. But when we do open the doors and walk in to this early church, what we see, what we read about here in this passage, I think seems pretty strange to to us or to many of us. It shouldn't. I don't think it should. It shouldn't seem strange, but it does. And the reason it looks so strange to us, quite frankly, and I'm not saying this to insult anyone, myself or this church or anyone, but the reason it seems so strange or looks so strange to us, quite frankly, is because we are not as familiar with the workings and gifts of the Spirit as we should be, and we have gotten so used to doing church without many of the operations of the Spirit that went on in the early church. And again, I just say I, th- I just think we should humbly acknowledge that. I think that would be really helpful if we just we look at what went on here and say, well, yeah, it seems pretty kind of different. And the reason might be just because we're maybe not as as uh, familiar with the way the Holy Spirit wants to work and can work and and could work among us if we if we let him. So, you know, one commentator on Corinthians said, uh, if Paul were writing to the average congregation today, rather than finding an unstructured spontaneity that creates bedlam, which he found in Corinth, he would be confronted with a well-regulated order of worship that often creates boredom. So, here he was saying that there's, you know, kind of, kind of an extreme that, you know, Paul did have to deal with kind of this spontaneous bedlam that was going on at Corinth and kind of rein it in a little bit and bring some order, order to it. But he probably wouldn't find that in most of our, most of our churches. Uh, he would, uh, maybe find something that's more, more boring. In Corinth, uh, Paul's instructions were to bring some peace and order to their uh, somewhat chaotic service, but the the irony to me is that it's like at Corinth, Paul was he he was stating this about how you operate, how you should speak and turn, who what should be going on in the church, and and he's speaking this to the church at Corinth in order to uh, to bring some order uh, to their service, but what he But what he said, the same instructions, the very thing that he said to them to help bring order to their service would actually bring a lot of spontaneity and liveliness and more excitement to our church services. And I don't mean just our church, but certainly to our church. Uh, So I find that, I just find that very interesting. Uh, Jack Arnold, you can take this for whatever it's worth. 
if you're not a history person, this will probably go right over your head, but I thought, I thought this was very helpful or interesting. Most of the church services of various denominations today are a carryover from Roman Catholicism and the Reformation. These traditional services are not wrong in themselves. They are not anti-biblical, but they are not biblical either. <laughs> that, that was interesting. Much of the Reformation for Protestants was around the issue of how to conduct a public worship service. The Lutherans wanted to stay as close as they could to the Roman church. The Calvinists held to be more biblical, but held on to many previous traditions. The Anabaptists wanted to scrap 1,600 years of church tradition and build a church and its worship on the New Testament model. My own take, and that's, this is Jack Arnold still speaking, my own take is that neither the Lutherans nor the Calvinists went far enough in reforming the church and the Anabaptists went too far, ending up in a lot of fanaticism. Interesting. Well, why does this even matter? I mean, why are, why are we even talking about this this morning? Why, do we, why are we going to take a Sunday morning and talk about this at all? Well, what goes on at church, what goes on when we assemble together as a church is important because Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. And he feeds the church and he cares for the church and he sanctifies the church and he chose to do that in a certain way. And it's when we assemble together through various gifts of the Spirit, working through various people, sometimes in spontaneous ways, He's chosen to care, feed, and nourish His church in that way, much like what we see going on in the New Testament church at Corinth. The church, I'm not talking about as an institution, but about people a group of people, an assembly of people. The the word ecclesia just means called out ones. The people for whom Christ died, that he called out to be together, we are the church of Christ. And he transforms our lives. He builds us up into this spiritually mature person in the church family. Our church growth takes place in this togetherness with each other. I mean, you're certainly, you certainly can grow by just spending time with the Lord, reading your Bible, worshiping Him. We should be doing that all the time. But there's this, this aspect of growth, this fundamental aspect of growth that really does not take place unless we are in this interactive, deeply participa- participatory uh, relationship with one another in the body of Christ. It doesn't happen on your own. Jesus, Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church, the Lord, the head of the church, he supplies the spiritual nourishment, but it comes through the individual members of his body. And that's that's you and that's me. And so Christ Christ himself willed or he intended, he purposed, he established, he set up that we gather together and that, and that he would be in our midst through the Holy Spirit. 
He is here through the Holy Spirit, and He gave us, He gave each of us gifts of the Spirit to feed and teach and encourage and to build up one another. And again, that was what we see happening here at this church in Corinth in the first, first century. But here is the challenge for us. Well, there are several challenges for us. But here's, here's one of the big challenge for us that I, that I want to point out right away. Without being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and being attuned or yielded to the Holy Spirit, we really don't have what we need to bring to the rest of the church. You know, some, some people... Uh, have something consistently to bring to others because they have been in touch with the Spirit. The one who builds up the church is ultimately God, and He does that, again, through His Spirit. But it is, it is through you, and it is through me that the Spirit man, manifests Himself. And without us, you know, you, you remember how many times we've said, how many times Paul said earnestly, Pursue or desire spiritual gifts. And he says that because without us eagerly pursuing the workings of the Spirit in our lives, and I'll just make it very practical, without you, without me pursuing the workings of the Spirit in your life, we won't have these lively, interactive, exciting meetings. Just don't. I mean, it it happens because of the work of the Spirit. Not, not because of the work of just human men and women. There's something, there's, there's, there's something uh, not human about this meeting, shall I say, <laughs> or something extra human about this, this meeting. This meeting, it requires the Holy Spirit. You can't have meetings like this, like this unless the Spirit is prompting people uh, to share and to speak. You can't have meetings like this unless you and I are in a relationship with the Holy Spirit in such a way that that we're aware of His His, his gifts and His prompting, promptings, and, and and we're ready to to speak and to share what He gives. Uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of lot of churches, a lot of denominations that have you know, really tried earnestly to follow what I'll call the form of a New Testament meeting. You know, okay, we're going we're gonna to just dissect this passage and we're going to have two or three do this and we're going to follow this form to the letter. What? It doesn't work that way. You've got to have life. You know, you've you got to have, have living, breathing, spirit-filled people <laughs> in order for this to happen. We can't have it without the power and life and gifts of the Spirit actively at work among us. Clear back, previous series that we did on the church, we gave, uh, we used Ephesians 2.22 as a definition of the church. Ephesians 2.22 says, and, and in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I mean, the church is an assembly of people bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. We're, we're being built together into a house or into a dwelling, into a church in which God Himself lives by 
His Spirit. And God's dwelling among us by the Holy Spirit is a, is a very real presence. It's, it's, this is not a concept. It's not an abstract idea. It's a very real presence. And, and He wants to be and He can be very lively in our meetings if we, if we do not put out the fire, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. If, if we don't quench or hold back or restrain or be unwilling to go with the working of workings of God. So when Christians gather, and I think this is important to, to point out, uh, when Christians gather, our meetings should be get different than any other type of meeting. It should be different than any other type of board meeting, any other type of meeting that you have at the office, at work, or at school, or a neighborhood meeting, or anything. The meeting at church is totally unique because of the unique presence of Jesus Christ among us through the Holy Spirit and through His workings and manifesting through each individual person. All right, one other thing that I, that I want to say about this uh, passage before we kind of dig into the specifics of uh, each verse. Although I think it is absolutely crucial that we have uh, church meetings like this where there's this interaction and participation and where there's sharing with one another. I don't think every meeting has to look just like this one that we see here in 1 Corinthians 14. For example, uh, Paul told Timothy, he exhorted him to preach the Word. Uh, he said the time will come when people will not endure or will not put up with sound teaching. There's a meeting described in Acts where Paul taught or preached for hours. First uh, Timothy 3 says an elder must be able to teach. So there, there has to be a time for, uh, for elder teaching. Uh, Paul also told Timothy to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So the public reading of Scripture, that's an important part. It's a short part of our, our meeting, but it's an important, very important part of our meeting. I mean, sometimes I... I feel like uh, I know we do it do it kind of right after uh, our free free time. I'll say, uh, but man, that's that's a time where wow, we should in a sense fall on our knees, at least in our hearts, bow the knees of our heart. Should should, should really what does God say? This is that's really really important. Uh, prayer should be a part of our meeting. Paul said, "I want the men to pray." Lifting up holy hands. You know, you, you don't have to lift up your hands only doing worship. You can do it when you pray. When you pray. I mean, it's just an, we're just stretching out our hands to heaven. It's just a sign that we are, it's a symbol. It's not like we are really reaching heaven, but it's just an, it's an expression that we are stretching out our hands to heaven. He says men can do that when we pray. I didn't mean to get sidetracked on that, but, but prayer, should, prayer should be a part of our meeting. Uh, we're commanded to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one, to one another. Worship. Singing is um, a part of a part of the meeting, and, and I, I don't think there's a uh, sh- sh- I don't think there should be a real extremely legalistic forcing of this passage in to say that every time we gather it has to look just exactly like that. That's that's what I'm saying. But in a spirit-filled church with spirit-filled people, there should also be meetings in the church that look like this passage in 1 Corinthians 14. At, at the very least, a part of our meeting 
should have that open interactive aspect where we are receiving things from the Spirit that we are bringing to the meeting or spontaneously receiving things in the meeting that we share with others and the whole church is built up. All right, let's move kind of more directly into the passage. If you've been with us, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul has written a lot about spiritual gifts, right? He's written a lot about love, written a lot about tongues and prophecy, and he's written about striving to build up each other. Now, in, in this verse, in our passage this morning, he tells us how that is to be worked out in the church meeting. In verse 26, he begins, what shall we say then? You know, after, after all that I've said, after all that we've talked about, what's the conclusion? What should, what should we say? Or what then is the outcome? One version says, or I like the ISV, it says, well, what does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean then for us? In other words, Paul said, okay, I'm going to tell you now how this should affect your actual church gathering." And for the Corinthians, it was going to bring some change. And for us, it's going to bring some change. First, instead of coming to the church, instead of coming, I'll say that, let me say it differently. Instead of coming to church, hoping it will be good, you come with something yourself in order to help make it good. Okay, so just a totally different perspective. Verse 26 says, What does this mean, brothers and sisters, when you gather? Everyone has a psalm, a teaching, uh, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. You all come with something. <clears throat> and everyone comes with something a little different. We don't all come with the same thing. We don't, we don't all bring the same thing to the body of Christ. We bring something different. We, as, as we've talked about spiritual gifts, we've made that emphasis all along. But the point is that you know that we that we all we all come with the idea of bringing something, not just okay. We're going to go and check out church and see if it's any good today. No, we we come thinking okay. I'm going to I'm going to bring something there, and even if even if it's not something shared in the in a in the public meeting, I'm going to bring something to share with somebody before church. I'm going to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit during the break between between worship and teaching. I'm going to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit after church. Just, Lord, what do you have? Maybe give me a word to share with that person or this person. Give me something to build up other people in the body of Christ. Paul said some bring a psalm. You could literally bring a verse from a psalm. I'm not sure if that's what Paul meant here, but you could do that. I mean, I, I'm built up continually. Uh, from just a word from the Psalms. It's incredible. Um, if I, and if I don't do much other Bible reading uh, it, for some reason on a particular day, you know, a Psalm is just, wow, really is, has a powerful spiritual effect on me. You could come and just share a Psalm. You could just say, hey, this verse really blessed me. Or you could sing a Psalm or a hymn or a song for us. You know, at our... Uh, Christmas gathering this last Christmas. Stacy Carlson did that. Is she still here in here? In the nursery? Okay. Bless her heart. You know, she got up just spontaneously sang a song that the Lord gave her, and it was powerful. Man, it just it really ministered 
to those of us who were there. In fact, I, I made a comment that morning. It was like, hey, it's like we're having a New Testament church meeting here because one person was sharing a testimony, one person was sharing this. Um, Kelsey, she's even shared, shout, the geese were all flying in while we were singing. And she said, I feel like God is just saying how they're all coming to participate in the glory of God that's going on here. I mean, it was, it was like, it was just like a, a, a church me, spirit moving people to do different things. Some bring a, a teaching or a word of instruction. You, you can come and just share some truth of the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and all that accomplished and just say, hey, I've been so blessed by this. You could share a verse from God's Word and explain what it means and why it's important. Uh, this happens in, in a lot in our, in our men's group. You know, d- different men come and say, hey, you know, I saw this in this story uh, about Elijah or David or whoever we've been studying and, and, and it applies to me and it, here's, it applies to all of us, I think, and just sharing, that's, that's sharing a te- bringing a teaching. Some bring a revelation. God brings something to your mind or shows you something through the Spirit or in the Spirit that would instruct or help or encourage or be a blessing to others. Uh, Paul doesn't mention prophecy here, but I I think he's really, when he says some bring a revelation, uh, I I really think he's talking about the same thing as prophecy because he says during prophecy, if one receives a revelation... Well, uh, then he should can speak that. Speak that. Um, so it's 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 a form of prophecy. It's just a word that the Lord brings to you to share with with the body. Someone may bring a tongue or interpretation. Someone could speak in tongues and interpret it, or someone else could interpret it, and uh, that that can that can really encourage you in a, in a profound way. If you've ever seen ever had that happen. Second, so we all bring something. We come, we come, don't, we don't just come to church coming to kind of check it out. We come to, to, to bring something for others. And then number two, whatever gift, message, or thought you bring to the church, it must be for the building up of others. It must be shared in a way that builds up others. And, and I, I know we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to, don't want to overly pound this, but, um, Verse 26 concludes, everything must be done for building up or strengthening of the church. And then just I'm going to pull down to verse 31 and bring that in here too in this point. For everyone can prophesy in turn so that everyone can be instructed and everyone can be encouraged. So, so the purpose of all the stuff that's going on or to be going on in church, when we gather, you know, Paul kind of sums it all up, it's, Everything is for strengthening that other person. You, you come with the thought, how can I strengthen the other person? Or how can I instruct that other person? Or, or how can I encourage that other person? And the result, Paul says, we all leave built up. We all, we all leave stronger. We all leave more instructed, knowing more, knowing better, how to think, how to live. And we all leave more encouraged. That's that's the end result, Paul says, of when when we should should gather. So open sharing in a meeting does does not mean that we uh, can just speak up and share anything at all. I mean, you know, some people some people 
just love open sharing and just just to talk about anything at all. It does, it does not mean, for example, that you get up and say, well, I'll, I'm going to tell you about my fishing trip or about my dog uh, or about how hard my week was or how terrible I was treated at work. You don't share those things unless there's a way to build up others by the things that you share. You think about the effect and the impact that it would have on others. And and I, I, I strongly believe that from the Bible and and from and from my my own experience in in many many church meetings, I strongly believe that what is shared should direct us to God. It should remind us of God's goodness and God's grace and God's faithfulness and His loving kindness or His holiness that He is worthy of our praise. Uh, and I, I want to be real careful what I say here next, but I, I think it's an, it, it can be important at times. I don't get the idea from this passage that the open church meetings, whether small groups or when the whole church is together, I don't get the idea that it was mainly focused on ourselves and our problems. Now, the reason I want to be careful is because the church did share one another's burdens, and we are supposed to do that, and we want to do that. If you're in pain, if you're hurting, if you're grieving, we want to pray for you and help you, and we are here for you. Okay. And we need to be able to share those. And, and honestly, some of the most powerful things that have have been shared either in church or in testimonies or even in some of the small groups I've been in, start with being honest about our own pains and struggles. But the focus, the focus needs to turn to the Lord. It can't stay. We can't, we can't wallow in where, where we're at. The, the focus needs to be on the Lord what he is saying to us in our problems and pain. The focus needs to be on what he has said to us in his word and and the timeless truths that he is reminding us of at this moment as we are gathered in his name. Uh, And if we keep our focus on our problems without emphasizing what the Lord brings to that, uh, it it just doesn't build us up or other people. Uh, a few years ago, Cindy and I visited a church in California. And I didn't think it was that hot, but apparently they, they thought it was r- really hot for them. It was, in, it was uh, where was it? Oh, well, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I think, I think it was in Vent- Vent- Ventura, California. But anyway, the pastor got up to speak, and and this is okay, but... To me, it was just, he looked like he'd just gotten out of bed. I mean, literally. I mean, and he was sipping on a can of Red Bull. And, and he started out by saying, uh, man, I am just dead tired this morning. He said, this, this heat is just killing me. This weather is miserable. And he went on, went on this about five-minute rant about just how drained and exhausted he was <laughs> and, and, and how bad the weather was and everything. And uh, then... Uh, then as he continued to, to drink his Red Bull from the pulpit, uh, he began a message that uh, was not from God's Word, but it was about 
it was, the whole message was about raising money for a remodel of, for a room for their youth group. And I, I'm sure it was a great project to do. But I, I, tell, I told Cindy, I didn't leave either instructed or encouraged, you know. And the, the end result of a good service is that we leave instructed and we leave encouraged, we leave, we leave stronger. And then, not to beat this drum too much, but Cindy and I were listening, listening to a message by Jim Simbola on discouragement, which was absolutely fantastic. I might send a, I could send a link to anybody, everybody that wants it. But anyway, part of the message was, and this wasn't the best part, but part of the message that kind of fit this sermon, this message this morning I was thinking about, he said, what if I got up and started the meeting and said, listen, everybody, I have had a really bad week. I was just, I was interviewed on radio and the host was really a jerk to me. I stepped off the curb and twisted my ankle. I went to this restaurant, paid a lot of money and got a really bad meal. What a bummer that one was. I really can't preach to you today because I am so down myself. Then he said, and they were all laughing at that church. And he said, well, you're all laughing because you would say, Pastor Jim, you can't be discouraged. We came so that you could lift us up. And again, Paul said, we do what we do. We say what we say so that all may be encouraged. Now, I get discouraged. Every one of us get discouraged. But we have a responsibility, as David said, to encourage ourselves in the Lord so that discouragement isn't the only thing or the main thing that we bring, that we, that we, that we encourage ourselves in the Lord so that we can build up one another. Now, I think much of the purpose of prophecies in the church meeting is when a person gets up and speaks a faith-filled perspective, a truth-filled, faith-filled perspective that we need to hear at that moment. Often, I think that some of those, those are the most effective words of prophecy. Words that turn our attention and turn our eyes to the Lord and His goodness and His faithfulness. So that, so that we, go, we go home, instead of thinking however we were thinking when we came into the service, we go home thinking, yes, God is good. And He is for me. And He, ha- he has my life in His hands. He has my future in His hands. He has my problems in His hands. And I have the hope of someday living in a new heavens and a new earth where everything is perfect, where there's perfect peace, perfect joy forever and ever in the presence of Jesus in a new body, in a brand new resurrected body. I mean, we, 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 need, we need to be reminded of all of those things. So I think, I think all the speaking gifts in a meeting should turn our eyes upon the Lord and upon you know, what Cindy and I often call joy-producing realities. We constantly need our minds and our hearts turned toward those joy-producing realities of God's Word. And upon what Christ did for us on the cross. I mean, that's the foundation of, of knowing that we are loved and that we've been brought to God, knowing that He is for us. And His promises and His present help. Third, uh, no person, no person or no single gift should dominate the meeting but leave room for the gifts of others. The emphasis in this passage is so that you, is that you, that you all may participate. 
Uh, verse 27, if, if tongues are part of, of the service, then it should be by two or three at most, one at a time, and somebody must interpret. Paul says a very similar thing about prophecy, which we'll get to in a second. But Paul was saying, I, I think, don't, don't overdo. Let's, look, he, didn't, he didn't squelch tongues and interpretation, but he said, don't overdo this one gift. Uh, other people with other gifts need room in the meeting too. And probably at Corinth, there was, there was too much of that one gift going on. And so it was a needed correction for the church at Corinth. But again, this isn't how Paul intended this verse, but for churches who have never had a tongues and interpretation, we might need to be reminded that the Apostle Paul gave his approval for a person to speak in tongues in a church meeting when it is interpreted. Right? He does it right here, right here in this verse. It says, it, you know, it shouldn't be a bunch of people talking together in tongues, one or two, take t- in turns, um, and it should be interpreted. Otherwise, the person should, uh, a person speaking in tongues should just speak to himself and to God. And that's fine. Verse 29, two or three prophets should should speak. Again, it seems to me Paul is simply saying don't overdo the gift of prophecy either. No, no one gift should dominate the meeting. Uh, no one person is to take over the meeting. And this is always an issue in any type of, of open meeting. Um, I, have, I have, of course, I've, I've taught in church for, for, for decades, but I, I've also led small groups, uh, sitting, I've had pretty much a life group in our home, except for very brief periods since I was in my 20s, uh, have led men's groups. And I would think uh, by now I would know how to do a better job of it. And seriously, I would think I would. But often I, often I feel like a, like a child going, going to lead, going to lead me. I honestly do. But, but when we gather in, in, in a, a meeting like that, a small group or a larger group, when we gather in any kind of open meeting, and I feel this particularly when I'm leading meetings, one of, one of the most deadening things that can happen, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that just makes a meeting fall flat is if nobody has anything to share. I mean, if, if you just open up the meeting and, and it's like nobody responds. You know, nobody says anything. Nobody speaks. I mean, and I think that's why it says, you know, filled with the Spirit, speak to one another. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't edify a meeting, a meeting for to have nobody say anything. Uh, you know, we have a prayer meeting. We start the prayer meeting. It is nobody prays for 15 minutes. I mean, that, that's not, that doesn't lead to a very uh, lively uh, prayer meeting. And as a, as a host in small groups, I love it when people open up and take the initiative to speak. But the other thing that can really hurt any open meeting is for one person to dominate the sharing to such an extent that it that it shuts down opportunities for others to speak. And I just find it so fascinating that Paul is having to deal with that very thing in this church at Corinth. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another person who is seated, the first person should be silent. 
For everyone can prophesy in turn so that everyone can be instructed and everyone can be encouraged. Again, Paul's just saying no one is to monopolize the church meeting. If, if somebody has something to say other than the person who is presently speaking, the one speaking should stop talking and give that other person a turn. And those of us who are naturally talkers need to exercise control enough to let others speak in turn. Uh, and, you know, I've often thought we, we talk a lot about self-control in what we eat or maybe self-control in exercise or maybe self-control in how much TV we watch or a lot of things. But a lot of people never, never enters their mind that we also need to exercise self-control in our talking. And that's basically what Paul is dealing dealing with with here. Verse thirty-two: uh, the sub, the spirit of prophets is subject to the prophets, for God is not a god of order disorder, but of peace. You might be wondering, okay, what in the world does that mean? Paul is, he's simply saying that a prophet, someone who, in, this could be any one of us in a church meeting who who is prompted by the Lord to share something with others, uh, your spirit through which you've received that thought or that word from the Lord, it's subject to you. And Paul's saying you don't, you don't have to, um, you don't have to just blurt out whatever comes to your mind or heart without any kind of self-control. Uh, the spirit you are subject, your spirit is subject to yourself. Uh, some have wrongly understood that if God brings a truth or a revelation to your mind and heart, then you just have to blurt it out right then. And Paul says that that's not true. You have control over the things that you sense God has given you to share. So you can make a decision to get up and speak. Or if you're in a small group, you don't have to get up. But you can make a decision to speak, or you can, or you can, you can stop talking and let someone else share. Uh, you can wait till the next meeting to share. Uh, or maybe you can decide not to share at all until you've had just more time to pray and process over what you feel like the Lord has given you. Yeah, sometimes that's a wise decision. God is not a God of disorder, but of, but of peace. In other words, there, sh there should not be the feeling that uh, anyone is talking too much, uh, that anyone is being rude or talking over one another or interrupting the meeting in some kind of disorderly way. As much as we want, want, want the working of the Spirit for people to share words of uh, prophecy or testimonies or uh, other things in the meeting, I don't think someone should just stand up in the middle of a service and and start blurting out a prophecy or a message in tongues when it's just when it isn't the the timing or the open window for that. But I, I also want to say, and we'll deal deal with this perhaps more in the next next passage when we get to that. But this statement is not meant to promote some kind of very rigid service where we don't make room for gifts. I mean, some people appeal to this verse, and you know, God is a God of order. And so we, you know, shouldn't do anything out of, out of order. And uh, you know, no, Paul's, Paul is just saying uh, 
there, there needs to be a sense of peace about the meeting. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be real disruptive or disorderly. Fourth and last, uh, we are to sort out what is good that is shared in a meeting and not necessarily accept everything that is said as perfect or totally correct. Paul said, after two or three speak, the others should pass judgment. Or I like the one, I think it's the ISV that says, everyone, the others should weigh carefully what is said. It just, they're just, you know, we're supposed to evaluate what we hear, not only with the gift of prophecy, but any gifts. We're, we should weigh what we hear. Not, not in a skeptical, cynical way that discounts prophecies before they are even heard, but in a thoughtful, discerning way to let your heart be fed and encouraged by what is good, but also you need to be able to sort out something that is not good or right. First Thessalonians 5, 19-21 says it perfectly. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. And as I said, that's something we should do with all gifts, including teaching. You should be doing, you should be doing that with, with what I'm saying this morning. You should sort out what is good. If there's something that's a little out of balance or off or something, you should, you should toss that out, and I pray that you would. <clears throat> but there could be a time in a church meeting where something is said that just needs some modification or perhaps needs, needs to be, might need to be rejected altogether. One of, the, one of the most uncomfortable times I ever had in church was at Des Moines Fellowship. We used to have a time of open sharing every fourth Sunday. And one Sunday, a man who had just recently come to church got up and shared something very harsh and judge, judgmental message that I did not think was from the Spirit. I was troubled by it to the point that I got up afterwards and I said, that, that's not what we teach and believe here. It was really awkward. And I don't think I handled it very well. And I've often thought, how could I have done that better? But I always think of that experience when I think of this passage because in the, ch- in the church, there, man, there was, there was incredible freedom and spontaneity to share and for things to be shared in, in openness with one another. But there is this, also this sense that you don't just accept everything that is said always, all the time, as gospel truth. We just acknowledge that in our exercise of gifts, whether it be teaching or prophecy, uh, we may kind of miss it at times. We're just not totally infallible in what we share. So what we share in the church meeting needs to be um, evaluated. Now, I do not think, I do not think that we should create an environment where we are quick to pounce on someone if they share something they think the Lord put on their heart and you think they just totally missed it. And that, that sometimes can happen. Somebody thinks, you know, hey, I, I really think this is from the Lord, and you think, I don't think so. I don't think we should create an environment where we're just, just ready to go uh, crucify that person for that. Everyone makes mistakes using their gifts. Teachers certainly do. Uh, and if, if we create an environment where you, you better exercise your gift whether it's prophecy or healing or word of knowledge, perfectly or else, that that will just shut down <laughs> all the gifts of the Spirit because we all know how frail and fallible uh, we are when 
often we seek seek to do our best to share what we believe the Lord has has given us. All right, very briefly, what is the outcome for us um, as a church? Well, first, we want to we do want to create more open windows in our meeting for for these kind of gifts to be used. I think in some ways. Uh, this kind of meeting that's described in, in 1 Corinthians 14 works best in smaller settings. But, but still, when we're all together on a Sunday morning, we still want to have room for uh, a word of prophecy or uh, a, a revelation, a teaching, some, something that God has laid on your heart to share, a, t- a testimony. And I love it. I love it when those things happen, you know, when different people have gotten up to share a testimony or a, a word for us, I, I, I love that. I think it I think it just I think it just energizes the the meeting. So we want we want to encourage that. And Josh is actually going to put together something uh, that I think he'll. Either, I don't think it's available this Sunday, but he's going to put something on the table or maybe send it out by email. We'll just kind of describe more how, you know, how we, more practically how we want that to take place and work here at Real Life Church. Um, testimonies, you know, I don't think quite fit into this list that Paul gives us, uh, gives us but we want, we want to hear testimonies. Susan Sheik shared a powerful testimony with, with me after church last Sunday. He said, Susan, I wish you'd shared that to the whole church, you know. Uh, based on the the something she was stimulated to believe God for, based on Peter's escape or release from prison by the angel, and it prompted her to step out in faith and prayer request with her with her mother, and God answered, and it was powerful. So we want to hear we want to hear those those kind of things. Number two, it's just it's just imperative that you get involved in this in this regular, lively, interactive ministry with other believers in Jesus Christ. Where you bring something to others and they bring something to you. In church, in small groups, in, in fellowship, one-on-one. Uh, needs you, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> I mean, and you don't know how badly you need it. We, you know, we do. We do. And then third and finally, and again, I know we've said this a lot, but is really important. Earnestly seek gifts and empowerment of the Holy Spirit from God so that you and I can be more effective in building up the church family. Go to God earnestly. Go to God earnestly on your knees and ask Him to make you more effective in the lives of other people, that you can be more responsive to the Holy Spirit more aware of his promptings and his message and his words that you can that you can give out to others and feed and build them up. And, and as I said earlier, you know, without us eagerly pursuing the workings of the Spirit in our own lives, we won't see these lively, interactive, powerful meetings. So ask God to make you a channel of the Holy Spirit in every gathering you go to. Let's pray.